podcast where best friends and next door neighbors, Willow and Lillian, spill the tea on murder, mysteries, and other things that go bump in the night. So get your favorite teacup ready and let's get into it. Podcast. This is Lillian, and with me is Willow. Hi. And this is the third episode we recorded today. Yeah. Second for you, th- third for me. Yeah. It's a long story. It's hot. Yeah. And we're hot. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm slap happy. <laughs> Y'all, okay, so I'm a lifelong sufferer from insomnia. Mm-hmm. Literally for the last month, I was getting maybe an hour or two a night. Last night, I got eight hours. <laughs> I'm unstoppable. <laughs> I feel insane because I haven't had, like, any energy. I've been feeling like I'm dying. Right, right, right. So I'm just like... There's been, like, just ridiculous stress in the air. Like, everyone. It's been, like... And I was, like, dissociating really bad, so mm-hmm. I felt super crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, hey, I'm better for now. And so I took advantage of it, and I was like, let's record everything today while I'm sick. Yes. Because God only knows what will happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so it's the honeymoon phase is our theme. Mm -hmm. And I would be remiss if I did not cover this case because it's literally like if you Google honeymoon murder, this will pop up on like up to page five on Google. Mm -hmm. And it is the story of Annie Dewani. And this case is so sad. And everybody thinks they know what happened. But when I dug into this, I'm actually unsure myself. Mm. I have my theories and I lean one way, but it's still kind of like, hmm, right. I don't know. And again, we deal with sort of a bungled investigation and I'll explain why. Cause it, from the like outside, it looks like actually the police did a great job, but did they, I don't know. I will just give you guys a heads up. I did use like the Google translate thing to like with the names in this, cause mm. it takes place largely in South Africa. I'm going to do my best because there's a lot of names that have, I'm going to, if I butcher them, I am so sorry in advance. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. I was going to do this episode. And when you said you were going to do this episode, I was like, Ooh, okay. Because these names. Yeah. 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 So I know a little bit, but I didn't really dig as far as you did. So yeah, Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Here we go. We're going to get right into it. Yeah. So it's a story that's kind of like almost beyond belief. On their honeymoon in Cape Town, South Africa, the Dewanis, a wealthy British couple, were taken hostage. Earlier that evening, the couple hired a driver to take them on a private tour of the townships of Cape Town, including the slums. They wanted more than just your average tourist experience. But the slums were still an unusual choice for the privileged and wealthy Dewanis. Dangerous, too. The hotel they stayed at, for example, cost $500 a night. So it's not like they didn't have anything to do or didn't have any money. Right. And and what's even strange, too, is they went to a kind of cheap, crummy restaurant, like, before this little impromptu tour. But honestly, the cheaper the food, the better the food. Sometimes not the case on this one. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just kind of, it was gross. And, like... Also, they went late, like, at night. And how can you sightsee anything in the dark? 
just putting that out there, setting the mood. Mm -hmm. So it's at 10.45 p.m. The driver was stopped at an intersection seven miles west of Kalashitha in a small township, and this is a slum, like right outside of Cape Town. Two armed men appeared out of the darkness and forced the driver from the car. For about 45 minutes, the armed men drove the Dewanis around before pulling over, yanking Shrian Dewani out of the car, dumping him onto the side of the road, and speeding off again with his wife, Annie, still in the car. And I just can't even imagine how terrified she must have been. Mm. Just mm-hmm. absolute terror. Mm. It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Shrian was said to have frantically gone door-to-door begging for help, for someone to call police, or for a phone he could use to call police about the hijacking. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the driver managed to call police. And they found Shrian a short time later, and after a little while, he was able to regain his calm enough to tell his side of the story of what happened. He first told police who he was, Shrian Dewani from Bristol, England. He was a 30-year-old businessman and a successful one at that. And that he was here in South Africa on on his honeymoon with his wife, Annie. Police escorted Shrian back to his hotel, the Cape Grace, and the search for Annie was on. And I mean, they started at, it's like midnight and they're looking for her. But I want to kind of set the scene of what these little townships look like. It is like little huts and shacks and like little prefab houses and concrete houses just almost stacked right on top of each other. We are densely packed in little tiny dirt side streets and just tons and tons and rows and rows and rows and rows of these houses. It is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And a lot of the vans, like this was a taxi van, Mm -hmm. they all look the same. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be really difficult to find her. So, yeah. Shreen told police that the hijackers promised not to hurt them. They threw the driver out of the car and they asked for Shreen's cell phone and he gave them Annie's instead. Kind of was trying to keep his phone. A little later, the men asked again and they searched Shreen because they didn't believe that he didn't have a phone. They find his cell phone and scream at him for lying to them. Annie at this point is completely inconsolable. She is panicking. She's sobbing. She is really freaking out. The hijackers then take his watch. After this, they throw him out of the car through the back window. Like they roll down the window and throw him out of the window. In Shreen's testimony of what happened, he said that he and Annie had handed over all their money all their belongings like their fancy watches and their engagement rings because Annie's was worth like 25 grand but pay attention to that it it will come up later at 8 a.m. that morning like after he was found Mm -hmm. the driver's car was found in the same town they had been driving through close to where the driver lived actually it had sat there the minivan all night and inside was Annie Dewani's body she had been shot at point blank range through her hand in the neck so she was trying to protect herself her blood had seeped out of the car and pooled onto the pavement South African police and investigators moved with lightning speed. A rich British couple, one of them murdered on their honeymoon. It was definitely bad press. And though many don't want to say this because it seems, and it is, in poor taste, 
they have speculated they moved so fast because this was a black mark on an already flagging tourist in industry because of violence in South Africa. It just isn't the safest place. Like outside of Cape Town and out of the bigger cities, you don't want to. And that's why it was so weird that they took a like sightseeing tour in the slums. Like the driver should have known yeah. that that was not safe. Yeah. A major clue is found immediately. A thumb and fingerprint are found on the left fender of the van. Within a few hours, investigators had matched the print to a man named McGinney, who had already been arrested before on suspicion of murder. He had for killing a man in a bar fight. And... You know, a lot of, like, coverage of this, they mentioned, like, how the suspects never, like, had a criminal record. Just not true. Mm -hmm. He had been in involved in violent crime before. They found him in a shack near the crime scene on a mattress with a man and a woman and passed out after a party. He was arrested and the shack searched. A search of the shack revealed the cell phone. When McGinney was asked who the phone belonged to, he said it belonged to the driver of the minivan. So, I mean, he's already confessing, like, right away. Just three weeks earlier, Shrian and Annie were married in a lavish ceremony with over 300 guests. Their families approved of their relationship. Like, this wasn't, like, a fraught relationship. And if you watch, like, the wedding videos, oh, my God, it was so beautiful. It was a traditional Hindu ceremony. Annie was 28. She was outgoing, beautiful. Shrian was 30 and good-looking, and he was born in a high caste of Hinduism. And though... Yeah, I don't think Annie's family, like, participated in the caste system. It was still just really, like, a good match for her. Right, right. Annie Hindosha was born on March 12th, 1982, in Maristad, Sweden. And the Hindosha family had come from Uganda in the 70s after the ruler there, Idi Amin, had expelled all Asian people out of the country. So a lot of times you'll hear about, especially in England and in Sweden, people of Indian descent living there because there was a diaspora from Uganda and India. And so kind of this has to do with British colonialism. So like back then like the railroad was being built all through like Africa and stuff it was Indians who worked on it employed by the British and so they kind of ended up in these countries gotcha, gotcha. yeah I just I had I to look into it because I always wondered mm -hmm. about it and now I know mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so they Annie's family basically were given asylum in Maristad, Sweden, where they remained and had a very successful life there. Annie would go on to get a degree in engineering, so she was more than just a pretty face. She was very smart, very ambitious, and driven. Annie's father spoiled her rotten. He just couldn't help it. She was like the light of his life. He loved her more than anything. The Hindochas were a very close family, and Annie was born and raised in Sweden, surrounded by love. She was a bright, intelligent woman and was working as a product designer for the Ericsson Company when she met her future husband, Shreen Dewani. And it was one of Annie's aunts that set her up with Shreen when Annie had, she had kind of just like was literally going looking for a husband. Um, in her mid-twenties, and they hit it off immediately. Annie liked that she could laugh with him. He was a very silly, like, funny, really charismatic guy. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like a fairy tale in the making. 
Sriandrawani was born on December 29th, 1979. Shrian's father, Prakash, is a pharmacist. And when they moved to Bristol, England from Kenya, and his mother was from Uganda also. He started a healthcare service called PSP Healthcare, and it was like really fancy retirement homes. They were nursing homes, but they were very posh, and he was extremely successful because, hey, what's going on? Like, all the boomers are needing elder care. Right, right. And so it was just good timing. And so, man, when I say they are rich, they, like, have a mansion. It is, like, no joke. They are really, really wealthy. He was... um, had a private school education and graduated from Manchester College. He was a super, super duper popular student. Like, they call him famous. And, like, because he has this big personality and he's a really smart guy and he is a good looking guy. And he was just really, really popular in school. After college, Shrian went to work for an accounting firm in England. And after a stint in accounting, he chose to work for his father's business. And I think it's pretty obvious. I think he only got the accounting job to kind of get some experience under his belt to work for his father. Right. But I mean, you don't want to fuck up with a company that big. No. You want to have some experience under your belt and get Mm -hmm. some real world experience. Annie was visiting a cousin in London when she was introduced to Shrian. And then, like I said, they hit it off. He was so attracted to her. It was like, love at first sight on both ends and after going on a few dates they decided to have a long distance relationship because she's still in Sweden and he's in Bristol now despite this whirlwind romance and like all this love at first sight it was not all roses Annie and Shrian were said to be both exceptionally headstrong stubborn people and they started having like big blow up arguments Mm. and you know we don't necessarily know like I couldn't find anywhere what the arguments were about necessarily. Having a long distance relationship is really stressful and will we'll put a strain on any relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that producer Will and his girlfriend Emma fight a lot because she's in Colorado and he's here in Arkansas. And it just, it's hard, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's easy to have misunderstandings when you're not there in person. Right. And I think that was definitely some of it. But I think the other part of it was an argument kind of over having children. <coughs> Excuse me. Allergies are wretched here yeah, today. It's really They're really bad. bad. So, Annie, of course, wanted to have children. And Shrian seemed a little less than, like, into it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think he was really still kind of enjoying this playboy lifestyle that he had. Not that he wasn't committed to Annie, although we'll get into that later. I just, I think he made a lot of excuses and that's what caused the arguments. He also claimed to have like a hormonal disorder that was going to make it hard for him to have children. And y'all, I did some research. I can't really find much on that being true because with a man's fertility it's all about sperm count and that was not mentioned but he said that he had like low testosterone which I guess can cause like erectile dysfunction and I wonder if they argued about that I'm just not sure I'm sorry like I'm dying over here (laughs) yeah I know I had to have a sippy of tea yeah Yeah, so he had promised her, though, he was going to go to the doctor and get all of that sorted out. But, like, it's not mentioned very much. And I almost wonder if it weren't kind of an excuse that he used to put off having kids or, like, just to not have them at all. I really don't think he wanted any. Mm -hmm. 
That following February, Annie left her job in Stockholm to move with Shrian and Luton, and that is a town north of London. In May of 2010, Annie and Shrian were engaged. And of course, the families were just delighted. Like, I think there is a lot of familiar, familiar, familial pressure on both sides. On absolutely, it's it's a it's also like a like a a point in your life, like a marker in Mm -hmm. your life. You're trying to strive for that, and then you move. Well, if they were in India, there would be arranged marriages, especially since they're wealthy. Right. And this is a bunch of cultural stuff that a lot of us white folks aren't going to understand. And I think the pressure on them not only to get married and have children was just immense right and not only pre- I don't know so much from Annie's family but definitely with Shrian's family yeah definitely and so despite still having issues in their relationship they had a lavish wedding ceremony in Mumbai on October of 2010 now right before then they literally broke up twice they called off their engagement twice and it was Annie both times she's the one having some problems in the relationship she was always like telling her cousins and family members you know that she regretted getting in a relationship with him but she wasn't really specific as to why like it doesn't seem that he was like abusive but I mean their arguments would get pretty heated I just don't like I'm not I don't know if he was verbally abusive but he certainly wasn't like violent yeah yeah but something wasn't working in the relationship something's wrong yeah they should definitely not have gotten married yeah and then they only dated about a year a little less than a year before they got engaged so and now it seemed like the beautiful marriage the fairy tale romance ended in tragedy and a terrible turn of events Annie was dead hijacked and murdered on her honeymoon Shrian was now a grieving widow heartbroken off over the death of his new wife or was he The circumstances, y'all, are just bizarre, if you think about it. Right. If you break it down. What was a wealthy couple on honeymoon doing in a slum in a notably bad part of town late at night? It's almost 11 o'clock at night. Right. Like, what are you doing? It says, I would be terrified. And, like, that's not very romantic honeymoon That Because previously to, like, being at this Kate Grace Hotel... We were staying at, like, a safari resort, like, looking at fucking cool-ass animals and, like, living it up and, like, spending money. Like, it was going out of style. Like, Like, why are you doing this? Why are you going slumming? That is so weird. Mm -hmm. It is just weird. I don't know. It doesn't track with me, and it seems suspicious. It's a very weird thing to go do. Yeah. So the day they arrived in Cape Town, November 12th, they met their driver, Zola Tongo, who picked them up from the airport and took them to their lavish hotel, Cape Grace. Shrian just seemed to like be wild about the driver. He just liked him. Like, they were just talking. Mm-hmm. And so he asked Tongo to be their guide around the city for the rest of their stay, and like their personal driver. That in and of itself does not seem suspicious to me. No. Yeah. I was like, that checks. That checks. That, yeah. If I had goo gobs of money i'm sure i do something like that randomly buy yeah, people randomly buy people and mr tongo's probably like fucking hell yes i i know that i'm in a place that if somebody walked up to me and said hey i would like to purchase you i'd be like hmm i am for sale yeah. as a matter of fact yeah yes uh, yep. and he knows he's just gonna get tipped big yeah. and it's gonna be yeah. easy they're a nice young couple yeah yeah 
The next day, November 13th, Trian and Ani spent most of the day in the hotel. Like, they slept late, and they're just kind of, like, hanging out, having room service. And they go to the bar, and, like, they're hanging out at the bar, having some drinks. They get the, like, bartender there to take pictures of them. Um, They seem to be having, like, a really good time. And then at 8 p.m., Tongo picked them up to take them sightseeing around the city. Again, it's nighttime. Mm-hmm. The sun is going down, y'all. And they don't go sightseeing right away. That's when they go to that shitty restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I tried to figure out, like, who recommended it. Like, maybe Tong, Mr. Tongo recommended it. Because he's not, like, wealthy. He's like, I love eating here. It was like right. a shitty barbecue restaurant. Shitty Look, barbecue. in the South, shitty barbecue good. In South Africa, no. Oh. They ain't known for barbecue there. I, I don't know anything they're not known for barbecue there but no like we have a couple like just shitty like hole in the wall places where the barbecue is just it's so good well and like and like like the cheapest mexican like family owned stuff that you can oh my god it is so the tortillas are made from scratch you know like oh my god it's just so fucking good that's amazing (laughs) but i just and now shrian is like is telling this after the fact Right. That he is just like, I want to see the real South Africa. Yeah. Y'all, I've watched some documentaries. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. It no. sounds like it's going to make me sad and freak me out. Yeah. Look, I live in rural fucking Arkansas. I can take you to parts of Arkansas and Missouri that you would fear for your fucking life. And I, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. So I don't go there, but yeah. I could if you said, take me to a place where I might get murdered. Yeah. I'll be like, I could take right you. Yes. And if you paint me, way. I might. It makes sense that Zola Tongo, he's just like, okay, crazy people. I will right. take you here. Right. But even then, I really do think he would have warned them. Yeah. But he doesn't. He and, and Tongo knew this part of town. He lived in the part of town they went to. Yeah. And he's like, it's bad. <laughs> so they drive to the slums, and again, a man runs up and starts banging on the window. And see, he had stopped, and it's kind of a thing. Drivers know not to make a full stop like that because mm. there weren't like traffic lights or anything. He's like nearly pulled to a stop to make a turn. To me, that seems suspicious. You don't need to stop yeah. to turn. And so he's doing this so they catch up to the to the van. Yeah. It has that, like, it feels like it's planned. It does feel like it's planned to me, too. And so when Tongo is interviewed, the investigators expect some shenanigans. Nope, his story matches completely with Shrian's. 100%. Mm. That didn't mean, however, that investigators bought that load of crap, because they did not. Yeah. First, no one goes sightseeing in the slums at night. Second, if robbery and stealing the van were motive, why was the van then found abandoned on the side of the road and not taken to, like, a chop shop? Mm-hmm. Third, why did they just kill Annie? Like, right. if your goal is to kill some people... Why'd you dump steal. him? Why'd you leave the witnesses alive who can ID you? Right. And then why'd you kill her? If it was just robbery, then they would have left her on the side of the road, too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense that the hysterical woman causing all the scene is left in the van. Because they were telling Shrian to shut her up. Like, yeah. the whole time. Mm-hmm. And they, like, it just doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't throw her out first. She's the one being loud. Right. Because if you're wanting a hostage for, like, ransom purposes, because that was, like, kind of my thinking you're not gonna keep the really hysterical person no and he's worth a lot of money he is it just it just seems weird to me 
Now, Tongo was asked repeatedly, why did he allow the Dewanis to do this? And he's just like, they wanted to. And I just think that's flimsy. Yeah. In addition, Shrian starts giving conflicting statements to police. He changes his story a lot, mm-hmm. like 7,000 times. One example is that he said he gave the hijackers all their valuables, including the ring, except when they have taken Annie to the coroner, he calls and says they need to search the car and look under the seat because he hid her engagement ring under there. And sure enough, when they look, it's there. Well, he wants it back because it was $25,000. Oh, my God. Y'all, that seems super callous to me. It's sad because the pictures show it and it's just covered in blood. And I'm just like, you... Wait, the ring is covered in blood? Mm-hmm. He'd hid it under the seat and she had bled down, you know. Oh, I was about down. to say, it was, wait. No, no, no. Okay. No, don't get conspiracy on me. It just got blood from, an, you know. I just thought it was sad. No, that's I, yeah. absolutely. Shrian also left South Africa only three days after Ani's murder. And I just find that stinky. I ain't going nowhere till I find the motherfuckers who did that. I would be glued to my person's yeah. body. Yeah. They'd have to peel me away. Mm-hmm. And it'd be creepy and mm-hmm. bad and sad. And I'd be screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the man that police took in? His fingerprints matched those found on the van. Magani confessed when confronted with the evidence. He had, like, other than that one, like, bar fight that he hadn't killed him on purpose, but still, he had no criminal record. He even identified the other hijacker who claimed he shot Ani. Like, Magani's like, the other guy shot her because Ani had refused to hand over her handbag. And I don't believe she would have done that, for the record. No. I thought, I thought she handed over everything. So that's what Shreen said, so why are we changing it again? Right. So the other hijacker was Ms. Wamadoda Kwabe, and I said that right, and I can't believe it. He, too, didn't have much of a... He didn't have a criminal record at all, and he, too, confessed right away, implicating another man named Monde Mabolombo, who was a receptionist at a hotel, not the Cape Grace. Monda... Monde also confessed and said that the driver, Zola Tongo, had come to him asking for a hitman. And it was Monde who put Zola Tongo in touch with Magani and Kwabe, the actual hijackers. So if that all made sense. It's right. kind of twisty turny. Mm-hmm. So basically, what they're implying is Shrian went to Zola Tongo and said, I need someone to kill my wife. He right. said he would pay each person $15,000, which is the equivalent of like 2000 British dollars each, which is such a low amount. Yeah. You have so much money. That just grosses me out. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And so Zola didn't know anyone, so he calls his friend who works at a hotel, and this person gets him in touch with these guys who've agreed to do it. Yeah. And when, so naturally, Zola Tongo's like arrested immediately. Right. And he also confessed that it was all true. And after picking up Shrian and Ani from the airport, he met Shrian in a carport, and that's where they discussed the hit. Meanwhile, Shrian is back in London planning Annie's funeral. And he seems to have literally, like, no interest in doing this. Like, he is blank. There's not a lot of emotion. He seems kind of irritated. And the family notices this. And this is when they believe he's guilty. They get their... That's the red flag for them. Yeah. Again, if you're going to plot some and carry out someone's murder, 
act appropriate. Like, why is this difficult? Watch a movie of people crying. Like, it's not hard to act really sad. You can even say, like, I can't even cry. I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. Like, you don't need to win an Oscar, but at least look like you could carry off a high school play. Or don't kill him. I'm saying. <laughs> It's just not that difficult, y'all. No, no. CCTV taken at the hotel, Cape Grace, matched with Zola Tongo's testimony. Shrian can be seen going to the parking lot where Tongo's car was parked, where he spent over 10 minutes. The day of the murder, Tongo and Shrian are seen on CCTV driving off together. And it's here Tongo said they went and exchanged currency so that the hijackers could be paid. Evidence was revealed that Shrian and Tongo were texting each other, and while they couldn't, like, recover the actual texts for some reason, the phone records show they were texting back and forth while the hijacking was going on. Not only while it was going on, but, like, directly before it. So you're sitting in the car. Why are you texting the guy who's sitting right in front of you? Why aren't you just talking to him? To me, this is the most damning piece of evidence against Shrian. Absolutely. Yeah. The morning after the hijacking, right before Annie's body was found, CCTV from the hotel show Shrian and Tongo meeting up in the lobby. This is where Tongo and Shrian... This is where Tongo said Shrian was asking if it had been done, like if she'd been killed. And you can see Shrian in the footage, like, start to nervously, like, look around, like, a lot. And Tongo said that's because he told him, like, this hotel has CCTV. We're being recorded. And he's like, oh, shit. Two days later, Tongo and Shrian are again at the hotel together on CCTV. Tongo said this is when Shrian paid him for a job well done. You can see them both walk into Shrian's room. Shrian is carrying a white envelope. And when they exit, Shrian doesn't have the envelope anymore. Now, Shreen will just say, well, I was just paying him for driving us around. You're not going to be thinking about that. Yeah. God. Annie's final text while on honeymoon to friends and family told of a very unhappy bride who wished she had never gotten married. Oh, honey. She was really regretful. Oh, baby. And I mean, this is the, like, night before. That's so sad. I know. Knowing that you're that far away. You're like on the opposite side of the globe. And in all the footage, she looks really happy. So it's really conflicting. I just think they keep getting into arguments. And I'm going to tell you all why I think what they think. I think they were arguing. Yeah. So in December of 2010, Shreen was arrested for conspiracy to commit murder. And you think that'd be it, right? That he would be in jail forever Mm -hmm. for this? No, not at all. Just justice is not served in this at all, and I blame the fucking police entirely. Yeah. I do think he did it, or at least had a part to play in it. Shrian hired a publicist to improve his public image because rumors had started that Shrian was homosexual, which in and of itself isn't a big deal and certainly not enough to commit murder over. It does point to motive, I guess, if you squint. His family was clearly not accepting of his sexuality, and what was worse is that it started to come out that Shrian had been visiting male prostitutes Mm. while being in a relationship with Ani. Mm. A male prostitute who goes by the name of German Master came forward and said, yes, came forward and said that Shrian was a client. 
Shreen's attorneys fought his extradition to South Africa, claiming that he had PTSD and depression from the carjacking, and this fight went on for four years. Wow. Yeah. In February of 2011, the lawyers for the hijackers went to the press and said their clients had been beaten and tortured and starved to force their confessions. And on a car ride? Oh wait, the the hijackers. Yes. Oh, okay, never mind. Like, and the, I and the, the driver. hijackers like no. beat and starved them. No, that they're in jail and all of their confessions have been forced. Oh. And they've been promised like lighter sentences and all this oh, stuff. Oh, gotcha. The police, the lawyer said, had been really, really hasty to solve this case. So why, other than the obvious? South Africa had literally just hosted the World Cup right before Ani's murder became worldwide news. They had been trying for years to increase tourism to South Africa, and this was like the worst press in the world. This beautiful young girl on her honeymoon is just brutally murdered in a carjacking. Right. We can't have it look like that. We want Africa to be, South Africa to be safe. If it was that the husband is involved and he set up this hit, well, then it wasn't a carjacking, was it? It just just made to look that way. So now, like, this is where I kind of run into issues, okay? I see where you're going with this. Yes. So when he's finally extradited to South Africa, mm-hmm. they're really, really into the whole thing of him being homosexual is the motive. But Shireen said that Ani was aware and he's bisexual and that his escapades with men are mostly sexual in nature. He can't really have an emotional connection. That's just not how he works. And that he has romantic connections with women and that he was in love with her and that they didn't fight about it that's bullshit i think that's bullshit i think they absolutely fought about it yeah and i i think the motive that isn't being said because it can't be proven is that she was pissed that he's cheating on her with men or cheating on her at all i think she threatens to go to his family with it and that's the motive right there but no one said that. I don't know why, because I think that one's easy. She is literally, like, kind of blabbing to her family, but not telling them at the same time. So if you're going to tell me, like, you're going to message your family, and you're going to be super-duper sad, right, but you don't tell them why everything's so fucked up, it's because she's holding it as kind of blackmail. Yeah. Or just holding it in because she doesn't want to tell on him. No, she but... She wants he, to confide in her friends and family yeah. that she's wrong. She doesn't want to give away the big secret. Nope. And so, like, the only evidence that Shreen is involved is silent CCTV footage, which is circumstantial as fuck, y'all. Right, right. And the testimony of the accused, who, according to their lawyers, had been tortured for their confession. Shreen's lawyers said it was ridiculous to think that he would pick the first taxi driver he met to arrange a hit on his wife, and that is a bit much. It's implausible, but not impossible. Yeah, I mean, rich people think. I was weird. about to say, rich people do crazy shit. I can't think outside my tax bracket, so I can't imagine doing that. But like, I've heard of rich people doing weirder shit. Yep. So I believe it. I don't know. Like, I feel like because a lot of people want to say he just planned it the whole time. I don't think so. I actually think he planned it like the night before. Yeah. Like when they get, when they get, like they have fought at the Safari Island Resort mm-hmm. they were at, mm-hmm. and he is planning it like that day right. that they arrive in Cape Town. 
he's just trying to get her to shut up. That is yeah. what I think. Yeah. Monde, the middleman who found the hitman for Tongo, was not prosecuted. I find that weird. Mm-hmm. I do. It's suspicious to me. Tongo got 18 years in prison. Kwabe got 25 years. Magani, the only one to plead not guilty, claiming his confession was given under duress, was given life in prison. I find that suspicious, too. Shortly after his sentencing, he died in prison from a supposed brain tumor. Oh, my God. See, I feel like this is all fucked up. Yeah. It's suspicious to me. I sniff a conspiracy. And I'm not going to spend the rest of this episode or denigrate her memory by getting into that too much. Right. It's my personal belief that things don't add up. It doesn't mean I don't think Shrian isn't guilty of something, but I'm not sure that this is stacking. I think that some things are fucked. I really do. Mm -hmm. At Shrian's trial, Tongo took the stand and just fucked up. He just royally fucked it up. He just lied, and then he changed his story. He was inconsistent, and he couldn't remember shit. He's under so much pressure, too. Yeah. Again, Shrian's sexuality was used as motive, but it wasn't strong enough without the angle that I gave it. They did not give it that angle. They just said, well, he was gay, his family didn't accept it, and so he was going to kill her. Nope, that's not enough. It's really not. The case against Shrian Dewani was thrown out because of this dishonesty of Tongo, you know, predominantly lack of any real evidence. And so it was just thrown out, thrown out. Now, they had said the judge had said afterward that they could come prosecute him again for it at any time. Should they gather some more evidence? The inquest into her death was canceled. It's done. It's over. They'll never look into it again, and he's a free man forever. Now, at the end of this episode, I am going to play the judge's words herself and why she made the decision that she did. And in listening to her, I mean, I can't disagree. Again, this is like our last case with the diver and uh, his wife. Right, right, right. Is it morally correct? No. Do I think Shrian is guilty? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But justice got to be the way it is. We can't... Go on a feeling. We got to have actual evidence. The prosecution did not do their job. The police did not do their job in gathering evidence. Why were his financial records not subpoenaed? Because you could have seen him withdrawing the fucking money. Mm -hmm. 2,000 times, like, what, four, three or four? That's a lot, even for a rich person to take out in cash on vacation. Yep. But that was never brought up. It relied solely on the testimony of Zola Tongo, who had lied previously and who was clearly, like, beaten and starved for his testimony. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely scared to death. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to remember shit, so it doesn't matter if he did it or not. Right. Because the whole thing is ruined. So I'm going to go ahead and play that audio right now. Mr. Tongo, who was the only witness who could link the accused to the conspiracy, gave evidence to the court which is so improbable and contains so many mistakes, lies and inconsistency that one simply cannot know where the lies end and where the truth begins. I accept that at this stage of the proceedings the credibility of a witness plays a limited role, but in my view the evidence of these witnesses is so replete with fundamental contradictions on the key components of the state case that I can all but ignore it. 
In making this finding, I take into account that all three witnesses, Mr. Tonga, Mr. Malombo, and Mr. Kwabe, are intelligent people, and therefore more than capable of attempting to twist their version to implicate the accused. There are many unanswered questions about what happened on this fateful night. I realize there is strong public opinion that the accused should be placed on his defense. I take note of that. I have heard the plight of the Hindocha family that they would like answers to the question. I have, however, taken an oath of office to uphold the rule of law and to administer justice without fear, favor, or prejudice. That I cannot do if I permit public opinion to influence my application of the law. If any court permitted public opinion or emotion to influence their judgments, it would lead to anarchy. In the circumstances, I make the following order. The application in terms of Section 174 of the Criminal Procedure Act is granted. The accused is found not guilty on this charge. He was free to go. And now Annie Duwani's parents say the man accused of killing their daughter lied to her and he lied to them. And so ends this long, convoluted and ultimately murky murky as hell case. Okay, so as you can hear, like, she makes a good point. He was dishonest. Therefore, the whole thing is, has to be thrown out. You've got no leg to stand on if the whole foundation's rotten, pretty much. Right. And so, again, it's just so frustrating in these cases because we want justice for Ani, especially her poor father, who was right. just completely wrecked by her murder. It was so senseless and so stupid. And I hate it. And it's just such a scary resting place for her. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be, like, murdered in your own home where you're, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. like, I always think about, like, their last moments because I always think about my last moments, whatever they may be. Yeah, and, I've thought about that before, too. You know, it's like in a, in a random ass taxi van in the middle of the slums with strangers and you're That's trying to defend yourself. Like, that is so so scary it is very scary it's terrifying and so like i don't know they they ended up spreading her ashes over a lake in sweden i thought that was really precious but like i've seen the pictures and they're just so you can just see the heartbreak yeah and shrian you little fucking worm i don't like you yeah i know you did it but again you have to I know he did it, but I'm not sure it just happened the way the prosecutors and investigators said. I'm really, I don't know, I feel really weird about this case because it wasn't necessary to torture the suspects. Right. Stop it! With the police brutality, right. stop! It ruins right. it! You are trying to solve the case and you are literally shooting yourself in the foot. So I'm just so frustrated. Like, all over tourism, really? You're going to botch her fucking case over tourism and now she doesn't get justice. Right. And I do find it suspicious as fuck that that guy, the only guy who said he was not guilty, gets the book thrown at him and then immediately dies in jail. That's That was, like, the biggest red flag to me. That raises my hackles. Mm -hmm. Again, coincidences can happen, but, man, that seems convenient as fuck. He can't defend himself anymore. Right. He can't tell his story anymore. 
Well, and can't brain tumors happen from like um, injuries? And they can. Like that. So yeah, I'm wondering if he just you know they beat the shit out of him and that's what happened. You know, yeah. it's just so sad. It is sad all the way around, and yeah, I'm here's my brief business time, y'all. I don't want to get into it too much because I got into it last episode a whole bunch. Right. But hey. In the description box of this episode, you're going to see something called a link tree. And you may be thinking, what the fuck is that? Why, click on it and find out. It's all the links to all the stuff we do, guys. We're not just podcasters. Me and Maris are artists and writers. Willow is a photographer. We do have a little fundraiser raffle going on on my website, wolvesandwinealchemy.com. If you listen to the previous episodes, you know why. So I don't want to rain on... I just don't want to be negative about it anymore like I'm it's bad enough to be in this like poop situation that I just don't want to even talk about it anymore I know you know what I mean going over the list of things it's like it's depressing yeah. every time I'm like wow that is terrible poor me I just want quiche girl I want quiche too I want to wash my clothes anyway yeah, go click on that link tree so you can see our Patreon. You can, there's our link to PayPal, coffee account, you name it. It's there. Oh, and our Discord. Please come visit our Discord. Yeah. Uh, don't be shy. Yeah. You're probably on there for some dumb video game anyway. So come vid- talk to me. Yeah, we're, we're really lonely losers. That's true. Like, don't be intimidated. No, we suck. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're yeah. too, like, and currently too sweaty. Stinky girls in Arkansas. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're gonna be intimidated by that. I'm not. Yeah. So do come hang out, and we can talk about this case and the last one Willow did, which was just so fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. It was really good. Thank I was you. really enjoyed it. So yeah, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm. us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie B.